Hello, my fellow music lovers. I'm Allison Hagendorf, and welcome to the show. This is where we celebrate the universal love of music and the rock and roll spirit that lives in each of us. Thank you so much for being part of the show. I would love for you to hit the subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube or follow the show if you're listening. I'm so glad you're here. My guest today is the multi-platinum Grammy-nominated producer, musician, songwriter, and Goldfinger frontman, John Feldman, a.k.a. Feldy. We talk all about his journey from selling shoes as a punk rock kid, how he once held the Guinness Book of World Records for playing the most shows in a year, how opening for the Sex Pistols almost cost him his life, and of course, the stories behind writing and producing some of the biggest songs for artists like Blink-182, Avril Lavigne, Five Seconds of Summer, The Used, and Panic at the Disco. And stay tuned after the interview for my sound advice. New music you need to know. It all starts now. Well, I do think that Jared is a great example. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about our love for Jared Leto. Yeah, what a what a dreamboat that guy is. <laughs> a total dreamboat. Yeah, yeah. He, to be such an incredible actor and frontman and vocalist and songwriter, and I love the new music. I really just love all things Jared. I really yeah, do. I've just found for me, it's really it was really difficult to be in a band mm-hmm. and then be a producer. I just I I, I, I couldn't do both at a hundred percent. I was doing both at like seventy five. Right, and it's like I needed to take a break from touring. To really like when I found the use, that was like, I knew I had to focus on producing and just like, just like Jared, he's like, he took a break from acting to focus on his band. And I yeah. just, you know, everything kind of worked out for that guy. Yes. It, and it continues to, um, wait, okay. You just mentioned so many things I want to talk more about. All right, cool. Firstly, I have been following your Goldfinger videos. I mean, how does that feel to be back on the road? That Long Island show looked yeah. sick. That Boston show. Yeah. Like, just tell me what it was like for you to be back on stage and feel the crowd like that. It's, uh, I mean, it is such a different feeling because it's like, I'm in the studio and I'm just kind of hunched over my computer and people are just looking at the back of my head as I'm programming stuff or recording a vocal or doing whatever I'm doing. And it's like, I'm kind of the guy that everyone's like, no, I need this. I need that. Like, kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of steering the ship, you know, but they're kind of directing me on where to go whenever yeah. I produce an album, you know, and when I'm on stage, it's just like, you know, it's not like any other job being in a band because no one can really tell you what to do. You can say whatever you want. I mean, obviously with consequences, but <laughs> I've, I've definitely like with my kids, like my kids like have that swear jar. And every time they come to a Goldfinger show, they're like, you owe me <laughs> 300 bucks for all yes. the all the swearing and it's like um you know but I can do whatever I want that's the thing yeah. about being a musician it's not like and that's why so many actors w- wish they were in bands because ultimately they've got to read the script yes. and basically follow direction from somebody else but when you're on stage it's just like it's my show and this is a band that I started you know when I was 25 you know and it was like I knew exactly what I wanted to do and when I'm on stage it's just like Hearing these songs that I've written, you know, in my own bedroom by myself and having like, you know, two, three thousand, ten thousand, whatever it is, people singing the words back. It's just like, it is the best feeling. That Boston show is like so magic. And there's like a resurgence. Yes. That's what I want. That's happening right. right now of just like live music. And, and unfortunately, a lot of my peers that I came up with, like, are no longer even with us, you know? Yeah. And it's like, and I think that there's an energy when you go see a band like us that's been around for so long, people respect that and they understand it. Well, I think that that generation, my generation, our generation are hungry for it. You know, when you go see Goldfinger, you like are so in the moment and you allow your brain to travel time and transcend time, but also be so present to know that these songs stand the test of time and mean as much to you today as they did decades ago. Oh, yeah. And I love that you are also doing When We Were Young. You know, I love, I think it's a really exciting time right now where that nostalgia is back and it's it's celebrating all the bands from that time, but also young young people who are hearing these bands for the first time. How does it feel to be part of this sort of resurgence? I mean, it's it's the best. It's like working with these artists, so many of them that you yeah. really put on the map. I mean, whether it's Arrested Youth or Mod Sun or Youngblood, that you really helped grow these Aww. artists that I work with. I mean, you... <sighs> 
I mean, without you, who, who knows? I mean, I just, I think about even Goldfinger with Tijuana Sunrise, uh, like throwing that out. I mean, it's like that song would never be what it is. We, would, we wouldn't play that song if it wasn't for you. We uh, wouldn't perform it. Really? Literally. You put it on a place where people just gravitated toward yeah. it. And it's like, I'm so grateful for you and everything you've done <laughs> for music. I mean, because oh it's God. true. I mean, I'm always a supporter of new music because at one point in time, all these artists that I've worked with were a new band, you know, yeah. like the used or story of the year or anyone, you know, where yeah. they were just starting out. Nobody knew who they were. And then they've grown to be what they are. And it's like, so I'm always like, let's go. Like, what's the new What's next? You, you know? know, I am too. And you and I have the same taste because we always like, I will be like, oh, I love this artist. Who is this? And I find out they've already worked with you. You yeah. know what I mean? And I always want like everyone to work with you, uh, you know? So I feel like you and I are definitely aligned. And I'm specifically wearing my used tank yeah. top because for me, I, of course, knew you as an artist, knew Goldfinger, loved Goldfinger. But it was this used album that, one changed my life. It actually is one of my favorite albums. I think that the used debut album is perfect, start to finish. And you and I recently got to see them together, which was very special at the Troubadour side by side. And I like lost my mind. You saw me. I was like, I actually got in trouble. I got in trouble. <laughs> you were standing on like on the balcony, like at, at the Troubadour. And it was like the band was on stage. Is it worth it? And you were like rocking so hard. I'm like, well... If she falls out, if she falls off the balcony, you know, she'll probably be okay, but there may be some, maybe a broken arm. You know, I would not fall. I have a strong core. I was doing you like an do engagement. Have a, I was yeah, doing yeah, like I engagement while uh, I was doing that. Yeah. You've always been very fit, but it's like, um, I, I was, I was sitting next to you. I'm like, this is how you should, this is how you should, she should see a show right here. Thank you. This is the template for how you go to a rock it. show. That's what I need. I need live music. Yeah. That's my personal release. That is my drug of choice. And I I give disclaimers like, don't be embarrassed or nervous. I will be fine. You know what I mean? Like there was this famous moment with Brian. We went to go see Royal Blood and I was like, right. I had the laminate sitting at the soundboard. I'm like, this is not enough for me. I need to, I need to feel it. You know? So I like, Brian comes to me, like rush to the front and I just feel like the crowd wasn't like ignited enough. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I need to like get this going. So like, I'm sure I'm five two. There's these two huge guys next to me. And I'm like, hey, do you guys want to like get this going a little bit? And they're like, sure. I handed <laughs> Brian my bag, my purse. I'm like, don't worry, I'm going to be okay. And yeah. I started like flailing limbs and I literally started up a mosh pit. Yeah. And Ben on drums watched the whole thing happen. And he's looking at me and he's like, you're a fucking man. If anyone's going to bring it. <laughs> Allison Hagendorf, a hundred percent. Yeah. I haven't, I mean, Go last to. time I was in the pit, I mean, as, as much as I love like whatever, what's next and discovering, I also love the idea of like, you know, having opportunities that I've had with Blink-182 and with yes. uh, Avril Lavigne to be able to uh. like work with these, you know, icons and, and, and kind of help bring them back to yes. a place where they've, you know, been super stoked. And it's like, we were at the forum at the Blink show. I mean, I guess it must've been in, in 2018 now. And I was with Josh Dunn and, uh, and they played Cynical off of California. Yeah, the first song I on the record. That album, yeah. And it's like, and Josh just said, we're going in the pit right now. And he's like, pulled me in. <laughs> and so Josh and I are like in the pit. It was a big, you know, it's at the forum. So it's like a big of course, circle pit. Yeah. And we were just in there. And I remember this one guy goes, I, I think that's John Feldman and Josh from 21 Pilots right there. And it was like <laughs> this like, and we were just in there. And it was like, it just felt like it was so good. So good. Because what it is, we are all first and foremost music fans. That's how we got into doing whatever we do, you know? Yeah. I was so glad that you did that album with Blink-182. And I loved it because when I was at Spotify, it's like you would create the music and then I would get to like play the shit out of it and put yeah. it on every playlist. So we, that was like a really fun chapter that you and I shared together. But I really loved that iteration of Blink. I mean, Matt Skiba is the only one that could do it, you yeah. know? Um, but of course, it's great to have Tom back. Of course. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all legends. You they're mean, Matt's all a, legends. Matt's a legend and Tom's a legend. And it's yes. just like, I, I, it's so funny. I've had so and much the respect for they have for each other too. Oh yeah, it's like 100%. really beautiful. Yeah, I was yeah. really. I saw the. I saw the mission statement that, yes. that Tom put out, like thanking him for carrying carrying whatever that was eight years or something. Yeah. You know? and it's like I have such a history with Blank. Like they opened for us at the Troubadour. That must have been ninety, probably ninety five, and that was the first time I'd met him. And then we did the Snowcore tour that Kevin um, Lyman yep. put together, and it was like it was Blink one eighty two opening. 
then Real Big Fish and then Goldfinger headlining. And it was like, so we hung out uh, with them back then. That was with their old drummer, Scott, which yeah. was, uh, and, and, and so I, I've just known those guys for, I mean, and, and Tom and Mark were always the kindest, sweetest people ever to us. And they were always so respectful that like we were the headliner and all that stuff. And, oh. and uh, yeah, we're not headlining any longer over blank. <laughs> <laughs> no one really is actually. Time, times change and it's all good. Um, but it's like, you know, we had the Aquabats open for us for a yeah. while, which was great. And so Travis would ride on our bus. And so I watched the whole thing happen. You know, when, and it was so funny. I'd watched him. He'd set up his drum kit, like on the floor of the club before we'd play our show. And he would just go through these cadences, like this crazy, like, and I'm like, I've never seen a drummer ever. Like, I've never seen a drummer this good ever. And he made our drummer, like, he's so, you know, not confident. He was just like, <laughs> how do I play after that guy? That is a tough act to That's follow. I mean, act. Travis Barker is one of a kind. And, yeah, 100%. And I love that you guys have been working so much together. Yeah. I mean, that was so great. Um, coming into your studio for Fever 333 was such a special time, too. Another yeah. one of my favorite memories. You know I love those guys so much. And Jason is amazing and the new iteration of the band. But I feel grateful that I got to come into the studio that time. We were all hanging. Um, just really getting behind new, great music. There's no better feeling. Yeah, I just, I wonder, I guess no one's got a crystal ball, but I mean, without your help with Fever... I mean, the, the Grammy nomination, you know. Yeah, just like, that was another moment we shared together at the Grammys. Yes, That's right. We were there together. We have this great picture of us, Fever 333, and Bring Me the Horizon. Yeah. That was a great moment. I it know. It was awesome. So good. And um, But I just wonder, like, what some of these, how, how some of these artists would have grown without you. And it's Aww. like, I mean, nobody knows, but really, um, I know. <laughs> I know in my heart how important. You know, um, you are to this, to the oh whole scene God. and everything. And Jason's such a, he's such a unique yes, he is. front man. I just don't know anyone that just no. does what he does. And, and it's like, I, I, I just feel like when he came to me, I worked with Let Live for a minute and it was like, I, I think their bass player was, was a bit, he was challenging for me. I mean, he was, you know, just kind of like one of those guys that was, this is the way it is. And it has mm -hmm. to be this way. And it's like, I, I typically work with bands that are just kind of more open to experiment yeah. and try different stuff. Um, but he was just very challenging. And Jason knew that him and I were buddy heads a lot. And mm -hmm. so and it never worked out for me to work with Let Live. But, uh, but then when Let Live split, Jason came to me and he was working at Air One selling chocolate chip cookies, you know, right. which is like, he's like, dude, I, I, I think I'm better than this. Yeah, I think I can yeah. do better than sell these vegan cookies. And I'm like, let's figure it out. I called Travis straight away, had Travis come over and we had a meeting and then Jason put the band together and it, you know, the rest is history, you know? That's amazing. And I love that I also got to sit in with you and Avril working together. I mean, that was also special. This new... Look at Avril's like resurgence. I, I mean, I mean, she's been doing music the whole way, but this is really she's the queen now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's really cool, and you got to be. I love her so much. I, I met her through Mod, and um, and it was just such a. It just everything was kind of meant to be, and and you know, Flames came out, and it was uh, just like such a big song, which you were song. again a huge part of, uh, and this massive song, and uh, and it's just like everything just kind of happens. I was thinking earlier, I'm just like you know. There's, there's nothing really ha has happened by mistake. And as much as sometimes I think, how could, you know, that's what, what it feels like the worst thing could, that could happen ends up being sometimes the best things. Like I remember I was just writing pop music and there was one, one point in my life where I'm like, do I want to like be a, like do American Idol music? Do I want to do like this straight pop lane? And, um, and I wrote this song with uh, Benji and Joel, um, Wake Up, for mm -hmm. Paris Hilton. And she's just like, nope, I'm not. I'm not going to use it. And we're like, I was so bummed at them. I knew it was a big song. What didn't she like about it? I don't know. Just, I, so I don't know if it was the label. It's hard to say. Okay, you just, never know, it, it just, right? You never know. It just didn't get used. And we're like, what the heck? And then... Um, and and then uh, we ended up getting it to Hilary Duff. Mm -hmm. And she was like... And it just became like one of her biggest songs ever. And it's yeah. just like... You never know like how sometimes songs bring on a life of their own when they're, when it's meant to be, but it's challenging when I know I've come up with something amazing Yes, and then the artist doesn't like it. It has to be driven by the artist when I'm producing acts. They have to like have ownership on it, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting. And I, you are unique, I think. Well, one, you're unique because you are an artist and also a producer, also a songwriter, and you've really worked in the full spectrum of genre. You know, you've done straightforward pop stuff. You've done groups. You've done solo artists. Five Seconds of Summer. Ama I mean, amazing. I love them, by the way. 
Um, how do you sort of get into the headspace with each unique artist and 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 bring out their best? I mean, everyone's. I mean, like I love working with Dom so much. I mean, he's he's like such an energy and force. Ugh. You know, he comes in and he's got like eight ideas and he'll play them all in a row and they're all different tempos and different keys. I'm like, all right, we just kind of figure out what like what's song number one. How did he say that? Like, what's the first one? And he's so excited. He's, he's very so excited. excited. And he's yeah. like, and he can like match my energy i'm very yeah, the two like, of you i I'm, feel like the room would have like imploded yeah, yeah yeah it's it's awesome and 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 so we were writing this one song or he had this idea and he kind of put down this idea and we're like going finish the whole song and i'm and, and i'm like you know are we I, I you know i'm like do we keep going what do we he's like let's do another he's like let's do one more song it was like 11 at night i'm like yeah, yeah. i went in there i made a quad shot of espresso i know you did yeah i did my quad <laughs> shot i go back in the room he's like yeah you know what i think i'm done and then he bounces oh, no. And I'm just laying there with my wife like an hour later in bed, just like, just like vibrating. I'm like, are you up? Are you up to Amy? I'm just like, you know, Oh my God. those moments like happen a lot where, but it's like, everyone's different. And there is part like part therapy to what I do for yes. sure. It's like when an artist is going through a breakup or a, you know, death of a family member, whatever mm -hmm. it is, like we want to like write about something real. You know, yeah. I want to feel something. I want to get goosebumps when I hear a song. I mean, Hoppus and I, you know, when we, when we first wrote Bored to Death, it was like, when we got to the bridge, um, like, you know, I had ideas for chords, but he just went in the room and just started like riffing off this melody for the bridge of that song. And I just got, I mean, huge oh. just goosebumps. I'm like, dude, come in. I showed him my goosebumps. He's oh, like, what? I got goosebumps. It's like, it was so good. Like when those moments happen, I know if I can feel a certain way, the world can feel a certain way, you know? And that's what, that's the, the thing that I feel like I have to do best is get that out of an artist to feel something. Because that's the most important thing about music is to relate. Of course. Have you had any sort of, what's been like your biggest? Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, beautiful anonymous. Challenge or uh... I mean, drugs can be a challenge, mm -hmm. and you know, I'm working. Actually, Travis and I are working on this uh, the straight edge band called uh, One Step Closer right now, and they're they're awesome. They're I don't know, just everything of like all the all the music, like newfound Gl glory and and like H two O and Turnstile. They've oh, got all amazing. this. They're just like real. They're a real band, and uh, I would love that. And they're straight edge, so it's just like they're very focused, and it's just like. But sometimes people come in and. I've had, you know, artists, you know, just fall asleep on the couch. I was working with this one rapper and and they were just sipping lean and it was like midnight and I'm like, and I, I you know, I get up at five. So I'm like, we haven't really started the song. It's midnight. And, 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 and two of the guys fell asleep on the floor in my studio. And then the artist is like just sipping lean. And I'm like... <laughs> Dude, what am I going to fucking no. And I kept like pushing the espresso yeah. towards him. Like maybe you can try this, like maybe make a mix of it. You're like, like a, wafting the like espresso Like the smell. speed yeah. ball of yeah. the, the lean and the espresso. I'm like, let's try and get to work. And that's, yeah. that's challenging. But like, um, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. So, you know, drugs and alcohol can, because I'm sober and it's like, it can be kind of, you know, a little weird. I think when people, especially when you smoke weed, there's like a, I mean, sometimes it's amazing. I've worked with some artists that like nothing can affect the talent. Yes. Like they're so good where it doesn't matter and I, we can just flow with it. But other times, like I can see, like the universe connects to the creative flow. Like I feel like when I'm really going, I'm not thinking about it. It's just kind of coming out. You yeah. know what I mean? Like whatever the lyrics or the melody or the music is just kind of like flowing. And there's a connection I can see like, like, like visually to the universe. Wow. And when people do drugs, sometimes it just gets knocked off and I can just see in their eyes, there's just this like, 
that clearness isn't there anymore and, the, and that connectivity isn't right. there to the art. And um, I just want to make sure we have the cleanest connection to the art that we can when we're writing music. Yeah, they don't have that clarity for that connection. That's yeah. interesting. And yeah. Then, I guess another thing is like a lot of times these days people don't make albums. So I'm with an artist for one day and it's like, how do you really yeah, that's tough. pull it out of them? Like whatever their deep, deepest, darkest, like the things that they don't want to write about. Those are going to be the best songs, you know, and how do you get that out of someone when you're with them for seven, eight hours, you know? That's true because part of the beauty of being with someone for an album or whatever it is, is that the intimacy you share, you're, you're really tapping into this very, this vulnerability and this intimacy and this connection. And that's where the art comes from. So I can only imagine how difficult and the pressure of like, we have one day. Yeah. Like, what can we get from one day? Yeah. It's like. I know. Sometimes with hip hop artists too, there's so many people in the room. It's like they've got their whole crew oh, right, and right, it's right. hard to really get intimate with someone when there's like seven dudes on the couch just, you know, texting and, <laughs> and whatever you're kind of like trying to get. I was like working with this one artist who I love, ZZZ. He's like an, an up and coming rapper and uh, he's really fucking great. And uh, he had a song called Morning Sun. And I just said, oh, like Morning Wood. Like I was trying to whatever be funny and nobody laughed there's eight people there. <laughs> nobody laughed I'm like you know like morning wood yeah, I was trying right. to be such an idiot I'm such yeah. an idiot sometimes and, and and nobody laughed and I just like uh, okay that felt I just flat. like yeah. stopped I'm just like alright we're just gonna work okay we're no focused. more jokes no more stupid dad <laughs> jokes or inappropriate dad jokes you know I'm all for the inappropriate dad jokes by the way <laughs> Uh, I wanted to really learn about your background because I really do think that your story and your journey is so special and unique. And so you grew up in Saratoga? Yeah, yeah. Saratoga is like this this little suburban town out like in between Santa Cruz and San Francisco. So it's like right in the middle in this little like it's all um, coders now that live there, you know, for all the um, for Google and all that. And uh, at the time, it was just like this perfect little bubble. And I had this when I was going into high school. Like I, I was kind of, you know, Star Wars was the first album I ever bought. It just made me feel something. That music yes. made me feel oh, something, course. you know, when I was like 11 or 12. And then, you know, then it was the Who and Queen, you know, just the epic like song, the epic songs, you know, just those like Dynamic, those moments. Yeah. And then this guy, Chris Caton, moved down from Lake Tahoe and he was Social Distortion's tour manager. Right. And so. And this was, you know, um, I mean, 1981, 1980. And it was like. I had never, I mean, I, I knew a little bit about punk rock, but punk rock wasn't really like this huge thing that had happened. And he's like, he, he just gave me his stack albums and it was just like Seven Seconds, Adolescence, TSOL, Black Flag. Oh, wow. It was just like all these Southern California punk rock bands and it just changed everything for me. And I just like, duh. I mean, I remember getting knocked out at a suicidal tendency show. I was in the pit and just, you know, it's getting stage dove on with those combat boots and just like, yeah. it just, I became part of something. I shaved my head, I put a safety pin in my ear got the dog chain. My parents were not stoked. Right. You know, it was like, and, and it was like, I'd have to take my, my dad was like a, a super right wing Christian. And just like, you know, you do not indulge in the pleasures of the flesh till after marriage. Cause they found a, play, <laughs> a playboy in my room. And I'm just like, oh, no, and I'm like dehydrated. I'm jerking so much, you know, whatever. I'm yeah. just a kid. I'm a fucking kid. Yeah. Just being an idiot. And, uh, and my parents were very, they just did not understand what I was going through and the whole scene and the movement and all of it. And it was just like, I, I felt like I was part of something finally, you know, and it's like drugs and alcohol came and play with all of it. And I saw social distortion probably 20 times. Every wow. time they come to Northern California, I'd be at the show. I had Dennis Daniel and John Maurer come to my house, you know, the bass player and guitar player. And they yeah. jammed with me oh, when I was wow, a kid. Oh, wow, what a moment. It was That's so crazy. big, you know? But then as I got older, it was like, you know, I just like, I, like, I just loved Sting's songwriting. And it was like, so I was in the closet, like listening to the police. Cause you couldn't listen to like pop music when you're, you know, punk rocker. Right. And it was like, and then like, I just fell in love with songwriting and like the Beatles. And then it was like George Michael. And I'm like, dude, oh, I can't, man. how do I come out and say, I like wham. And it was like, that was the toughest thing as a kid, because it's like, back then you had to listen to one kind and that That's was it. it. That's all you could listen to back then is one style of music. And I'm like, I had all these. And at the time, people would hassle me so much, bro, what's wrong with you? And you know, call me names and all that shit. But as an adult, I'm like, without those experiences, I would never be the producer I am. Having all that influence, so much music. Like, and, and my dad only allowed 
us to listen to musicals as a kid. So it was all sound and music and the music man in Oklahoma. That was all we could listen to in the house. So it was like, I had all that great music too, which was like, definitely turned me into an alcoholic later in life. But you know, it's like, like, dude. Um, And it's funny now in in hindsight, like we go, um, every year we go to the the sound of music sing-along at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, that's and, and, and as a tribute to my father, like to, to go do, and it's great. It sells out 18,000 people. And my son, uh, three years ago, decided to dress up like one of the, one of the characters. They do like dress up stuff. Yeah. And he went on stage as a female deer, right? <laughs> like the song. And in front of 18,000 people, the MC's like, what are, what's your name? I'm Julian. You know, what are you? I'm a female deer. And I'm filming him from front of the stage. And 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 she goes, this a, we had we had this deer onesie on him with little antlers, and I put one of my, oh, Amy's bras on him, a pink bra. As and you she, do. She goes, "What yeah. are you? I'm a female." He's like, "I'm a female deer." And and uh, and she goes, "It's a lovely brazier that you have on. Whose is it?" He looks right at me. It's my dad's. And it was like, <laughs> it was like perfect genius. Julian. It was genius. genius. Yeah, and it's like so Didn't all this stuff. It just comes full circle. All of it. You know, and that's the thing is like, you think like sometimes what I think is the worst thing that can happen becomes the best thing in my life. And all these experiences, I would never be the man that I am today and have the career that I've had if I just stayed in one lane. Like I needed to like, you know, branch off and, and learn how to play all these songs. And I started as a bass player and just like, and so now when, when a great bass player, like, you know, Mark Hoppus or Pete Wentz comes in the studio, it's like, I can you know, we have this alliance, you know, yeah. and I'm a closet drummer. I used to have a drum set in my, in my bedroom. And it's like, so Travis comes over. I'm, there's this video of me air drumming to cynical with Travis rehearsing it in his backstage and I'm behind him air drumming. I'll send it to you. I it's, need to see that immediately. It's so good. I'm, 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 I am arguably the best air drummer on the planet. Ooh. Really good air drummer. Wow. I'll challenge anyone. What is your go-to air drumming song? Um, Tom Sawyer, oh. Rush. I yeah. mean, come on. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Good one. I need to see this. I yeah. need to see this. Um, talk to me about Electric Love Hogs. So my first band was called Family Crisis in high school. We were like, we opened for seven seconds in Bad Religion. We did all that. It was, we had an, I mean, I was a, you know, a fucked up kid and, and I didn't really know what I had then. You know, it's like, it was just like a, I mean, I love playing in bands, but I never thought I could be like, it could be a career. So I moved to Los Angeles when I was 17 and, and I put this band together, uh, the electric love hogs, arguably. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I found this band silly goose. Have you heard them? No. Uh, yeah. They're like a new metal band. They're like a mini limp biscuit. They're, they're rad. They have this, they have this uh, video in subway where they're playing one of their songs in a subway sandwich shop uh, and just everyone in the stores. It was great. <laughs> it went viral. It's really funny. I but, um, that. But arguably one of the worst band names ever, Electric Love Hogs. But so we loved the cult and mm-hmm. we loved um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So we oh, it was so funky. We had it a bass really player, funky, the, like yeah. very, very flea. I could tell. And, yeah. um, but our whole vibe was like skate, like, you know, thrash. That was our whole thing. We wanted to be like we were in that kind of anthrax suicidal tendencies. Like that was our thing. And I I met Mike Muir when I was a kid and he was always so nice to me. And he was just he's just a rad guy and a legend. Like, I mean, yeah. suicidal is like one of the all time greatest. Sure. And uh, and so we started this band and and we had a, we had like a moment where we just fucking ruled Los Angeles and San Diego, ruled it. And we had fucking Pearl Jam open for us, Alice in Chains open for us, Tool open for us, Rage Against the Machine open for us. All these bands supported us. We were like dominating and it was like this moment. And it was just like, I mean, it was just like fun. The songs are terrible, but it was like a great live show. The guitar player went on to start Velvet Revolver, Dave Kushner, right. drummer Bobby started Orgy. And, uh, and then, you know, Kelly joined Goldfinger, you know, and, and it's like, wasn't Tommy Lee involved? Tommy Lee produced the album. So, or most of the album, this guy, Mark Dodson produced part, uh, part of the record as well. And Tommy was the best. He brought us up to his house in Westlake village. And it was just like, Heather Locklear was there. We're, and I'm just like a kid, <laughs> oh just like, God, you know, this I'm 18 year old kid with like, like, you know, the most beautiful, like Heather Locklear was the, the most beautiful, gorgeous, yeah, yeah, so most awesome. Gorgeous woman. And yeah. Uh, oh. yeah, just the best. And it was like, we were at his house. What the hell's going on? But he was the kindest and the funniest guy. He would just, 
lay on the ground and just light his farts on fire <laughs> in the middle of oh our set. God. I'd be trying to get this vocal. And he's like, come here, come here, come here. Wait, 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 hang on. And then just light his fart and I'd be like. What was Heather Locklear's response to these actions? Well, she wasn't there when he was doing okay. that. It was like, he was very, he was very kind of mellow around Heather, you know, but okay. in the studio, he was like this wild man, right. you know. Um, but it was, it was a really great experience working with Tommy and, and just having all that. But it was like the band, I mean, in the end, song is king and so the songs have to be there. And like you were talking about earlier, like these songs in Goldfinger that still stand the test of time. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping are, are, are just good songs because yeah. they've lasted for 30 years and we just didn't have good songs. We had five guys where democracy, which I, it does work sometimes, but there's usually a, a leader in most mm -hmm. bands that sort of drive the songwriting ship, usually or one or two yes. writers. Yes. And in that band, we all had to have equal say. That's tough. And it was just, um, it was, it was rough. So there'd be like eight time changes and it was just like, I can't, I mean, to be perfectly frank, I can't even, I can't listen to that record. It's just like, cause I know now what I know. And it's like, if I knew, you know what I mean? If I knew then, but, but everything happens for a reason. We were never meant to be the next Red Hot Chili Peppers. We just right. weren't, you know? And it was like Goldfinger was the band that was meant to kind of like help me you know, kind of like get out of selling shoes, ultimately. Right, right. Goldfinger was so important because it was also part of, of a moment. It was the third wave of ska, which was like, a, was happening. I mean, it obviously helped catapult bands like No Doubt and Sublime and Mighty Mighty Boston's and, and Goldfinger was in the middle of all of that. Tell me about what it was like at that time as sort of this resurgence of, of ska and just different elements and using instrumentation and horn sections. And like, it was a really fun, exciting time and Goldfinger was right in the middle of it. Yeah. So what was it like? Like, were you friends with these other bands? Like, what was the camaraderie like? Or were you com um, competing because it was kind of like this movement? I saw No Doubt play, gosh, that must have been 1990 at Club Spade, I think, on Sunset and High Island, or no, Hollywood and Highland, and I saw them play in front of maybe eight people with my 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 friend Brett Cantor, who uh, who turned me on to Rage Against Machine, who turned uh, me on to all these bands, and he he got murdered actually in Hollywood. It's an awful story, oh um, but he turned me on to No Doubt, and um, uh, he started Dragonfly. That was his club, you know. Oh wow! And so he's like a, a legendary guy that really helped me in the early days. But I met Gwen, I met Tony back then, and it was like, and she was this, you know, baseball cap and overalls and just doing all these crazy kicks. I'm like, she, but the, to me, it felt more like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, just mm -hmm. the vibe of the band back then. They had, I mean, they, they had like these ska reggae moments, but their energy just felt like, you know, how Anthony and Flea just go ballistic. Or they still like, do. That's how, that's how I felt about No Doubt when I first saw him play. And then I saw him play the first Warp Tour in 94 and it was like sublime, No Doubt. And, um, and I'd started Goldfinger like the end of 93. And so, I mean, I, I just, you know, I grew up on all, like my first concert was the English beat and it was like the specials and madness and all that stuff really, you know, kind of helped help my idea of what Goldfinger was going to be. I felt like it was like uh, Elvis Costello meets social distortion. That mm -hmm. was kind of my, my mission statement for Goldfinger. And so when we were playing our first shows, it was with like Buck 09 and the Skeletons and all these local ska bands, which was cool, but we weren't really a ska band, right. but it was like, there was, there was something happening that we right. were definitely a part of. Mm -hmm. And so Real Big Fish and I, like, we, I was still selling shoes and it was not, I mean, it's, it's, if you're a shoe salesman, it's all good. I'm not, you know, but I don't, I don't think it's anyone's real dream in life mm -hmm. to be, that wasn't my dream right. to be that. And so I'm sitting there with all, I'm on the promenade and all these like senior citizens, citizens are coming in, showing me their boils and their corns on their feet. And I'm like, I've got to figure out a way out of here. I've got yeah. to figure it out. There's got to be more than this. Yeah, because yeah. the Love Hogs had broken up. And I remember like Ricky Rackman came in, who was a really big supporter of the Love Hogs. And he was in there shopping. And I pretended like I was shopping too. I was work, oh. working at the shoe store. I, I didn't want to feel like, you know, I'd failed. But I'd, you know, it failed. We broke up. We got dropped from the label. It was like it was over. 
And I'm like, what's next? And so I, I had these songs written and I'd written a couple of them when I was in the Love Hogs. I wrote, I wrote Miles Away when I was on the ferry going from England to Paris. And so I had these songs in my back pocket. And then I was, I was kind of like, you know, I was into this one girl that I work with. And this one night, we had this great night on New Year's Eve. And, and I wrote here in your bedroom in like 10 minutes. Uh, and it was like, I wrote that song and I knew I had something that was special. I have chills. That song is awesome. Thank you. Uh, and, uh. And, and my best friend worked at Starbucks. And so I found, and he had a drummer that worked at Starbucks with him. I found Darren that way. And it was like, we, we just put this <laughs> band together, you know, just for people working retail, retail jobs. Yeah. My bass player, Simon was my shoe salesman next to me. And, and it just like, I mean, everything happens for a reason. This guy came in from a record label and I'm, I sold him a pair of nine and a half Oxblood Doc Martens. I stuck my demo cassette in his shoe box and he signed me to a record deal the next week. You know, that's how it worked in 1994. That's amazing. And kudos to you. And also kudos to the A&R who yeah, signed Patrick you. McDowell. Patrick McDowell. Yeah, yeah, because that's amazing that he actually listened to it and gave it a shot. But also the music was great. So yeah. it's sort of like the planets aligned. Yeah. yeah. There has to be like that perfect storm of like, there was a scene happening. It was yes. like, this was like what the was going was on. The timing was perfect. Timing was great. I mean, here in your bedroom is a, 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 great, a objectively really, great song. Thank you. And, yes. um, and I feel like it was the best song I'd re ever written. I love that at song. The time. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were, and I'd already been touring, you know, since I was 12, I was playing in bands. So by the time I'm 25 starting Goldfinger, it was like, I had all this experience that I'd already knew, like, you know, how to deal with hecklers. I mean, our first tour in Goldfinger was with the Sex Pistols. It was like their reunion tour in 1996. Ooh. That was our first world tour. I had to fly to um I had to, I met this guy that was um Willie Nelson's tour manager and I go dude how am I gonna and I, I was dealing with anxiety and panic attacks and all that stuff like you know crazy mental health shit and I'm like how am I gonna sit on an 18 hour flight to New Zealand and deal with it he's like here's a hookup of a guy that like uh, is going to take care of you. He'll be there when you land. And I land and this six foot seven Maori guy with all these face tattoos, picks me up from the airport and just drives me all around Auckland and hooked me up because of this one friend I had. And it was like, it all just worked out. First show, this guy throws a full pint of beer on me. And then second song, this guy fills up his bottle of piss and throws a bottle of piss on me. I'm covered. And I'm like, I had played just enough shows to know I had earned my place on that fucking stage. Yeah. And I'm not going anywhere. Do whatever the fuck you want. And yeah. it sucks getting shit thrown at you. And I feel like there's a moment happening right now where people are getting shit thrown on them on yeah. stage again. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. You can do whatever the fuck you want. I'm not going back to selling shoes. I'm going to play my music and you're going to hear the opening band of the Sex Pistols. Yes. And that's the way it is. I can't imagine the, how merciless that crowd must have been. It was brutal. I can't just even imagine. Just chance of fuck you and the booing and the whole, it was and just bottles thrown. It was awful. I and mean, we opened for them up in Bumbershoot in Seattle and it was like, you know, 60,000 people. And the first song, well, the guy, the, the radio DJ goes on stage and says, please don't throw anything at this next band. Oh, They're called Goldfinger. Man. And we get on stage and they had a, this little CD jewel case, you know, the plastic. If you don't know what a CD is, you can yeah. fuck off. Um, <laughs> and uh, this guy threw a fucking CD case at my eye. It hits my eyeball and, and oh my tears my eye. And song one, I grab the DJ. I pull him back on stage. I said, throw everything you fucking can at this motherfucker. Yes. And then they threw the, they, the whole stage was covered in, um, in trash, you know? And, <sighs> and that day we got kicked off the Sex Pistols tour because of that. But then our drummer went to their, uh, their <laughs> The cave, Sex Pistols dropped you guys from the tour? Off. I mean, that's saying a lot about you guys. It's saying a lot. <laughs> But then our drummer goes in their dressing room and takes a shit on their catering, like just shits on their catering, literally. He on was, the Sex Pistols catering? On, the, on their catering. And then they let us back on the tour. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was like. Done. That is so fucking punk rock right It was there. the gnarliest. I cannot. That is unbelievable. Yeah, it, was, it was wild. Wild it's times. Like respect. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm so, I'm so glad that I grew up in, a, in an era. I mean, it was like there was no, I mean, I don't know, like the whole cancel culture yeah. thing. I mean, we would have, it would have been awful for us. I mean, it was we survival. Were, it was straight up survival. You had to play 
your ass off to survive and to make it. Didn't you guys set the Guinness Book of World Records for most live shows in a year? We played 385 shows in 1996. That was part of it. We did the Sex Pistols tour. Then we opened for No Doubt, which was a, which was a very different experience. That was so cool. The crowds were so great. And they just, it was so much respect. And No Doubt gave us like, they let us set the drum set up on the ride. I mean, they were so kind There was no us. defecation on their catering. No, it was not necessary. it was amazing. Yeah. And, and Gwen just would always like, she would just hang out. And she was, I mean, she was back then even, she was like a true superstar. Yeah. I mean, her or everything about her was just like, you know, God, goddess. And, yeah. and it was like, she was so kind and nice. I mean, her and Travis are very similar, like the way they, that they've been to me, whatever success they've had, they've always just been people, just like people. And, and that's the best when the fame doesn't really kind of, you know, and um, that was such a fun tour. And then we did Bad Religion. And then we opened for the Buzzcocks. It was like all these tours. We'd play a noontime show uh, at a radio station like event. And then we go, you know, open for the Buzzcocks at night. So it was like, we do all these shows. I had no days off, tore my ACL, shin splints, herniated a disc in my neck. Like I, ch- I mean, these two teeth are totally fake. It's just like, that's what you did. You just went as hard as you could because I did not want to go back to selling shoes. Yeah, you were incentivized. Yeah. Didn't you also open for Stone Temple Pilots? Um, Stone Temple Pilots opened for the Love Hogs, oh, you know? Oh, other way around. Yeah, other way around, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Scott was always, said, but but the, the guys in my band, if you look at their very first video, I am the man, what's that song? I forget what the name of that song I is. I am, I am, the man, I am. Whatever I that am. one, you know, it's like, Next he like you. looks, exa- I mean, he like cut his hair, bleached his hair, shirt off. It's like, he was definitely a Love Hogs fan That's for sure. That's awesome. It was funny too. I mean, as sad as it is, but I, when I finally met Chester Bennington, like, they had an electric love hogs poster in their rehearsal space in Lincoln Park's wow. rehearsal space. He told me, and he's just like, I was a massive fan of that band. And it was like, um, I, I, I don't know. Sweetest guy. Yeah. Such a talent, such a beautiful, such a light. Yeah. Such a light. hundred percent. In 1999, a lot of things changed for the band because Superman, yeah. of course, was in the Tony Hawk pro, pro skater. skater. And that changed, that sort of changed things for you guys, right? I mean, it did. Yeah. Because I mean, ultimately there's a trajectory for every band. It's like here in your bedroom could could only take us so far because, you know, you got to follow it up. And Superman was the single on our second album and Tony Hawk, who I hadn't met till last year because of Avril, you know, put it in his video game. You know, he was. I don't know if he was a fan or if he just thought the song was cool or whatever, but it was like in the opening scene of the video game when you first like start up, it's like in the big hall where you pick on where you're going to go. It's like Superman is the song. So whenever, I mean, that's our, that's hands down our, our biggest song. It went gold last year. It's like. Congrats. That's amazing. Just, and it's so funny too, because that song was written again. <sighs> I don't know. In probably 10, 15 minutes, it was just, it came, I had a concept, I had an idea of just feeling powerless over the world and just, you know, everyone expecting me to be like the superhero, but I'm just a human, you know, and that's what the song was written about. And it's like, it just kind of came out as this like little thing. And, you know, we were playing, um, some theater in Manchester, England, first opening for the Bloodhound Gang. I had no idea that the song was in the video game at all. And we're like, no one knew who we were. We're opening for this other band that everyone's there to see. And then we play Superman halfway through the set and the place just went ballistic. They all knew that song. They, they probably knew didn't song. realize that you were the band that yeah, had that song. And, and a lot like it is now where sometimes the song is bigger than the artist. Like my kids won't know who's singing the song, but they're like, we just love the song. We don't yeah. know the artist. Like that's kind of what happened because of the video game. They knew the song, but they didn't necessarily know our band. That is crazy. And I also saw the video of Tony Hawk joining you on stage. Yeah. Tell me about that moment. Was it? He's singing. Yeah. He's singing the yeah. song. It was, it was wild. It was like, Aww. I mean, Tony's, um, I mean, you know, I, I, we're friends now and, and um, he's just the sweetest guy. And he just like, you know, graciously came and, Insane so with cool. us. It was just, it was the best. I mean, that, that whole moment. 
And it's like you, you're out there and you're playing songs that everyone knows. I mean, it's a sold out crowd in, in Orange County at the House of Blues. And it's like, we're, you know, playing our set and it's people are, you know, going ballistic or whatever. But then when you bring him out, it's like, it just next went level. like it was next 20 level. degrees Well, it bigger. was a moment. It was like this cultural, historic moment. Yeah. I mean, I just watched the video and I felt like, wow, this is really special. Yeah. And, yeah. and me and a lot, it was funny. I was thinking about no effects. I was going to say something about no effects, but it's like, I just played them for my daughter last week. And she, she's like, this is classic rock. Dad, you know, it's like (laughs) the worst. Yeah, the worst. Wait, tell me about music with your kids. Like, one, do they understand like your legacy and what you do? And like, are they, do they think you're cool? I, I think my kids actually think I'm I'm all right, you know, because I, I I'm a I, I feel like I'm a good dad. I mean, it's very oh, I, I'm good. very focused on. And when I had kids, I really stopped touring, and I, I just wanted to focus on being a dad and all that stuff, you know. But um, yeah, my kids. I mean, that ZZZ kid that ended up signing to Warner Brothers. Like my son found out because he loves Juice World, yeah. And so he signed to Little Bibby, which is um kind of Juice's label. And so he found ZZZ and said, "You got to work with this kid from Florida." My son turned me on to him. Wow. So I hit him up on Instagram. Oh. I'm like, when can we get in? And he hit me right back. He's like, tomorrow? I'm like, yep. And he shows up <laughs> tomorrow. And so my son was like, he was definitely like, okay, my dad's on to some different shit. If you can get this kid here, who I'm a fan of, one day later at the house, and they're like taking pictures together. And oh, he was the nicest kid. God. He got us into Juice World Day in Chicago. He's done so much for us as a family. He's an 18-year-old kid from Florida. And it's like, but he's amazingly talented. So my son likes Post Malone and, and Juice and Polo G, and he's definitely into hip hop. And my daughter's just, you know, a Swifty. I mean, uh-huh. just straight up Swifty. And yeah. it's like, and I love Taylor Swift. I mean, of course, she's great. Yeah, yeah, You Belong With Me is one of the greatest songs ever written. And I feel like she's, I don't know, top five best writers of all time. She's an incredible songwriter. Yeah. She truly is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, she's also a, a beautiful person. Yeah. She's, she's a great role model. Yeah. hundred percent. Oh my God. We just went to go see Paramore. Oh yeah. At the forum. I have to tell you that Haley Williams is one of the best performers I have ever seen. I'm not exaggerating. I think she's better than any pop star. She's a superstar, cross genre. She's just so, she's perfect. First of all, the athleticism alone of her performance, she blew my mind. I've been seeing her for decades. She's always been a great performer, but no, now she's next level. Now it's a show. It's a show. Yeah. I mean, she wowed me. Yeah. It makes me happy to have these women as role models. Yeah. yeah, She's awesome. Just the idea of how big Good For You was, the Olivia Rodrigo song, how yeah. big that song was and how influenced by Misery Business of the song course, was. Of and course. then how everything kind of comes. I've only met Haley once and she was the sweetest. She was just like, we met at some Grammy party and she was just like, that used first used record just changed uh, for her. Did. She was like, I just, and there's a video of her singing Taste of Ink. Like, uh, it's just crazy, you know? And um, yeah, she's amazing. I feel like, those kind of artists that just come from the van yes. and work their way it's up. It's different. It's different. different. It hits different. Yeah. It's different. It's something that cannot be taught or explained. You have to live through it, paying your dues. I mean, she is the real deal. Yeah. Of all like, the decades of game shows, I mean, like The Voice and American Idol, are they, the decades of them, and there's like, I mean, thousands and thousands of contestants, yeah. and there's like maybe two or three that end up becoming, you know, legends. Right. It's like- the way to do it still today is the yes. same way it's always been. You write music in your bedroom and like go out there and try and play in front of as many people as possible and use all the social platforms, you know, to promote yourself. But getting in front of an audience, like if you go and sign a T-shirt at a show, give it to a fan, that's a fan for life. For life. You know, yeah, if you're on connection. TikTok and they see a, a clip, that's like, you know, like 15, 20 seconds of, the, of their memory. You know, it's yeah. like. Go to the shows, go stand outside, you know, go busk in front of a line of, you know, if you're like, like the next whatever, a day to remember, go to a day to remember show and just go play music and just, you know, hand out, you know, links to your music. I mean, that's what I always tell bands is just like, put yourself out there as much as you can. It's it's still DIY. It's that DIY like ethos. Has to be. I always, because talent is one part of the equation. Of course you have to have the talent, but if you have that DIY ethos and you, that that relentless work ethic, that's that's where you you put yourself separate. That's where you separate yourself from the rest. There's a lot of talent. Yes. Right? But it's also the vision and the work ethic. I mean, yeah, but that, that, that X factor, that element that yeah. you can't 
train. You yeah. can't like teach someone. No. Like it's always the ad lib track that I can tell if the singer's got that. Like when I say, okay, we've got everything stacked, all the doubles, harmonies, all the vocals are finished. And then we go, okay, now just go, just go do whatever you want. Like I'll start the song, start top to bottom and just sing whatever you want. That's when I know the singer's like, the star, you know, when they can kill an ad lib track. Has there been any moments in particular you can think of right now that you were like, whoa? I mean, Brendan, you're he just. Oh my God. I mean, he's. I, I, he I mean, I've worked with some amazing singers, but I mean, he's probably the best yeah. I've ever worked with. You know, he's he is. just like, a, an. he's just got everything. He's got all of it. He yeah. is. The sweetest guy. The sweetest guy. Also, He's so um, effortless. Like, Brian and I went to go see Panic play Reading and Leeds, which was a moment in their career. And it was massive. They headlined it. It was, you know, like when a ba- when American band especially is playing at like Reading and Leeds, like headlining it, it's like, wow. Any, any band to headline it. But we were just hanging out with him. And, like, it was almost like he was, like, just going to watch the show like we were going to watch the show. He's just, like, hanging. I was like, okay, guys, I'm, I'll see you in a minute. And he's like, comes out on stage. It's the most mind-blowing performance of all time. Then he comes right up the stage and back. Oh, here's, here's, my, yeah. here's my drink. You know what I mean? Like, how is that possible? I, I mean, if Freddie Mercury is the, the greatest singer of all, rock singer of all right. time. I yes. mean, he's, he's and as performer, close, and I performer, think, as close yeah. as you can really get to that in in modern day i mean he's just such a legend and such the sweetest guy and everything he does he's one of those guys just like you said effortless like we got a ping pong table and i'm like you know i played a little bit of ping pong as a kid i'm i'm, I'm okay but like he just like he had never really played and he's like by game three i could not <laughs> he's like crushing i could you. not win he was just he's one of those guys it's just like everything he does is just like yeah so good and the most important thing is just that he's a wonderful person you know yeah. we were talking before whether it's travis or gwen stefani it's like being a superstar is awesome but at the end of the day it's really most important to just be a good person 100 percent. you know yeah yeah we live in such an era a different era than when i was growing up and i'd what i would think about is like pete townsend like sliding across the stage and, and breaking his kneecaps like how do you top that like that that was the dream no one like he was like on such a different level and now it's like anyone you know with auto-tune or with pro tools can kind of sound decent yeah. you know it's like what is that thing that's going to make you you know set yourself aside from the crowd and it's like yeah i mean it's got to have the songs and you've got to have the personality you have to you have to make people feel something that they've never felt before yeah it's not easy with, I mean, I don't know how many, what do they put out? 10,000 songs a day or something yeah. come out. It's crazy. But it's like, that's what, even just hearing the music when I used to work at Spotify, just literally, you know, how many songs I would listen to, just like song after song after song. And even just the music alone, it would make you be like, wait, what was that? You know, like that like stands out. And then when you meet the person, like Youngblood's a perfect example. Like I was like, wait, what music is this? Yeah. And then sitting with him, I was like, oh, okay. This is it. This yeah, kid is sure. it. This kid is it. The, the music combined with the persona and the person and the vision and the artistry. Tyler from 21 Pilots is one of those guys too, yeah. for sure. When I found them, it was like, I was working with um, Beartooth. I'd, I'd worked with Attack Attack. And, uh, and then when they split up, their keyboard player, Caleb, started Beartooth. And he, and he just sent me a bunch of demos and stuff. And we just stayed close. And I ended up signing him to his record deal. And... Um, which is funny, first time he ever came to visit us in Calabasas, he was driving through Old Town Calabasas, gets to my house. He's like, it's such a lovely town you live in, Calabasas. It's the first, <laughs> the first time. Yeah, yeah, Calabasas Caleb. Calabasas Caleb. He's the greatest. He's I, the best. He's the greatest. And, um, and he was like, you have to work with this, this kid, Tyler Joseph. And I'm, um, he's like, he's a ukulele player. And he was like, he, he told me the whole story. He's like, he was going to go to college off this basketball scholarship and then decided to do music instead. So he hooks me up with him. And then a week later, he's at my house, Tyler, you know, and, um, and we're just writing like, and I was trying to come up with like weird Beatles chords. Cause he's a very, you know, he's a prolific writer, yes. Tyler. Yes. And, and, you know, I took, actually took him surfing in Malibu and we're out there and this, you know, local, cause he had never surfed before this local comes up and he's like, why don't you guys go down the other side of the pier, bro? Like one of those like North shore moments. And Tyler's like, I'm going to beat the fuck out of that. He didn't say that. I'm going to beat the, I'm going to beat the heck out of that guy. And, um, and I'm like, dude, he's got 10 friends. There's yeah. two of us. Let's just let Think it go. Again. Let's yeah. let it go for a minute. But, but I can just tell that Tyler had that spark that of like, fire. Yes. And then, you know, he invited Josh over that night and we all got in the jacuzzi and just hung out and just spent all, it was like, and I knew that band was going to, and arguably the best 
live band. They're amazing. Right? They're so, I, I don't know who's so good. a better band. They are an awesome live yeah. band. I and I know Haley's like a legend, but like as a group, what mm-hmm. they do is so like. Uni- that's, it's unique to them. It is unique to yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, we have some great superstars, you know, it's uh, it makes me feel excited about the future. And these superstars are now inspiring and influencing the yeah. next generation. That really pumps me up. I know. Yeah. It's so funny when I talk to guys I went to high school with and everyone like, oh, new music sucks. These like all the other. And it's like, yeah. you have no idea. Right. It's just so much great music, you know? You and I are missionaries. We are always waving the flag for new music. You have to. Of course, there will never be another queen. It just won't be. There won't be another Rolling Stones. There won't be another U2. Nothing will be like that again. It doesn't mean there's not new great music. It's just different, you know? Yeah, for sure. We had this, um, we did this party. Jason Flom and I did this party at at my house uh, for... The like the rhinos that you know in Africa, like there's yeah. all these um, ex vets that were protecting these rhinos, and we did this fundraiser at the house, and he had Greta Van Fleet play at our party at our house. Were you there? No, I you wasn't there. Okay. That was there was a while ago, like before they were really who they are, and it was just like again, like you find these like little yes. moments of like. It's like that singer's like next level. Gosh, it's amazing. So good. I love those guys. I'm so happy for all of their success. I mean, I think they like crazy stats were like. In one year, they like sold out every single venue across the world, like like, yeah. like big venues. Like yeah. it's crazy. I know. For an artist to sell out venues, like that's where you really know. Streaming's mm-hmm. cool. It's helpful. But if you can actually sell tickets at a live show, yeah. that's really the mark. No, you're yeah. right. It's like I think about, I mean, I don't know, would Turnstile sell out the forum? Probably would sell out the forum now. Yeah. And I don't even know if they've even got a million monthly listeners. Right. I, I don't even know. It's like that's what matters. It's that's like, it. It is And it's matters. so easy to look up numbers online and just think you know. But I'm so anti-algorithm. It's like I don't know what – TikTok artist that started there, who is like the next Machine Gun Kelly? Like, yeah. you know, from that, from that, I don't, I don't know. I Time just, will tell. That's an interesting point. It's like, but it's been years and it's like, I know. And, and, and it helps. And I get that it it's helps. a great marketing tool, but major labels so many times just look at the numbers and the algorithm and think that's what we sign and that's what we go after. These guys get these huge record deals and then nothing, they can't even sell the Roxy. No, I know. You're absolutely right. Numbers are cool, but they do not comprise the artistry that stands the test of time, that connects in a way that cannot be explained and becomes part of someone. Yeah. Those always, artists have to be the real deal. Yeah. I always yeah. ask artists, I'm like, you played in front of a hundred kids last night. How many t-shirts did you sell? That's right. the thing that's important. That's true. If they sold 25 or 30 t-shirts, like 30, 40% of yes. their audience bought t-shirts. Incredible. Like, that's Incredible. a win. Huge win. I know. It's amazing. All right. Let's do deep cuts. Ready? Uh-oh. Okay. Name a song, album, or artist that changed your life. Song, artist, or album that changed my life. Um, Queen 2. I mean, Nevermore is like, when I was working with the Struts, like Luke and I would just listen to that song over and over. I learned how to play the piano part when I was a kid. And it was just like, there's no living in my life. I just like trying to sing like Freddie as a kid that could barely sing. It was just like, I mean, Queen 2 is probably that record for me that like, it's a deep cut record. It's yeah. not like there's no real hits on the record, you know? It's a concept album. Yep. And um, that's where that's what I'm sticking with, Queen yeah, 2. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah. Your first concert. Um, Bow Wow Wow opening for the English Beat. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I remember it was at the Greek in Berkeley and I was a freshman in high school and it was like this junior, yeah, this junior girl came up to me and she had English beat, you know, that the, the t-shirt with the little, the dancing girl on it, the, yep. the cartoon character with the English beat. And it was like, she came up and started talking to me and it was like, it was a moment. It was like, this girl's talking to me and she's older than me. And I was just <laughs> like, I'm like, this is where I want to be the rest of my life. Right here. Totally. The English beat, the Greek. A hundred percent. Isn't that beautiful how just music can just connect people instantly? It's instantly, the best. It's yeah. the best. What is a song you wish you wrote? Uh, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic oh. by The Police. I mean, it's We it's listen like, to that song a lot in my house. It's incredible. It's like that drum fill that Stuart does. That drum, one drum fill I have ripped off in hundreds, <laughs> hundreds. And it's like, as a writer, it's like, it all really boils down to like, there's like, I've kind of got four basic ideas that I start with. Like there's the major key, the minor key, um, the chromatic 
key, like the, doing a chromatic. So yeah, I got three ideas that I kind of start with. And it's, it's like, it's not brain surgery, but it's like the melodies and the concept are what makes them unique, right? Yeah. It's like every little thing she does is magic is just like one of those songs that just like, he goes, boo, doo, doo, doo. He does that one weird note to make it weird. And yeah. he's on an upright bass. And it's just like the whole thing is just like, it, it, it brings me right back to driving from Saratoga to Santa Cruz to Kong's Market to go shoulder tap wine coolers because that's how cool I was. Like, <laughs> we all did the wine coolers. We <laughs> like, all did the wine. I put Jolly Ranchers in mine. Like, what it, was that about? Exactly. Don't even ask me. That's and true. that just brings me right. It's one of those songs that just brings me to that exact time yeah. in my life. And I, um, yeah, I wish I could. I mean, that's the song that I always strive for. It's such a feel good song. I love that choice. If you were not a musician, what would you be? Um, at this point, probably a trainer. I just, oh, yeah. I, I, I work out so you much. Do. I was on the Peloton today and I was thinking I would work out with Allison Hagendorf. Every, if you were a Peloton trainer, you'd be my coach in every single class. I for have, sure. First of all, thank you for saying that. I have to tell you that a lot of people have told me that they wish I were a Peloton trainer. Yeah. Like, is that a thing? It's a thing. I was in New York. <laughs> Last week, and I went to Peloton's, and I love the, because my knees are shot from touring for so long. It's like, so I can ride bikes because it doesn't, it's not bad on my knees. So I was, I went to a live class with Christine, I forget her name, but it was like these, these teachers are like superstars. Yeah. There was a two hour wait to get a photo with her after the class. Wow. It's like these people, they're, they're like millions and millions of Instagram followers. There's like massive, it's like this huge thing. And it's like, and my music would be on point. Your music, my would, music be would be on, so on point. Their play, and it's like you find the ones that have the playlist. Like there's so many pop punk rides, which I yeah. do. You know, I was with Kendall Tool today, and it was just like, and it's like they play, she plays so many songs that I've worked on, and I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah, but you'd be amazing. You would Thank kill you. that. I feel like I need to connect with Peloton. Just putting it out there. <laughs> yeah, seriously, because I would actually would love to do that. Yeah, that'd be a blast. You'd kill it. It'd be like a rock star ride. A rock star ride. Yeah, exactly. Rock star ride with Allison Hagendorf. Stay tuned. Amazing. Thank you. What is your most prized possession? I mean, I, I, I'm such like whatever the opposite of a pack rat is. Like, I don't really hold on to anything, but I have a, um, I've got this Telefunken 251 microphone that I've used on pretty much every used record on, on every rock record I've ever made. That's just like this microphone that yeah. has like a personality to it. Yes. And it's just like, I love this. I mean, all the blank records, we all, we just use this mic and it just sounds incredible. And, um, I don't know if that's my most prized possession, but I'm a, definitely a microphone connoisseur. I just got a, I was just thinking to, on the drive over here, I, I just got an Aston Martin and I'm like, I'm like, I, I never was this guy. When I first like um, got signed, I had this hundred dollar Dodge Colt that I had bought from my grandma and it had one of those fuzzy steering wheels. Of course. And I ripped it off. So it was all the glue. So in summertime, my hands would get glued to the steering <laughs> wheel because it'd be like a hundred degrees out. And it's like, and I had all the Pennywise and Bad Religion and No Effects bumper stickers all over. And I'm like, I don't need anything fancy ever. I just don't care. But now it's like, yeah, I like my fucking car. <laughs> and Aston Martin's pretty nice. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, because my son and I are super into the James Bond movies right now. And so I'm like, I'm going to get an Aston Martin. But I was thinking like, you. I just don't know how, how, how much it drove me to be the guy that I am having a father that was super unsupportive and said I would never make it in music and have a guy that was very, you know, he did the best he could. And I have, you know, I'm, I'm fine. And, you know, we're you know, when he passed on, I was holding his hand and, oh. and all that. But it was like at the time as a kid, we had a very gnarly relationship. And, uh, and I wonder how much of that drove me, you know, saying you're never going to make it to making sure I did make it. Oh. You know what I mean? I wonder. Wow. That's I wonder. really special. What do you hope your kids learn from you? I mean, to be kind never give up, that there's always a solution, no matter what. There's always some way around a problem. You know, I mean, I always think like one of my best friends, Milton Dykus, who passed on as well, he would, he had Parkinson's disease and he was a really funny guy. I'd sit next to him at lunch and he'd be, he'd be shaking violently and he'd be, I'm a really nice guy. Just don't sit next to me while I'm eating soup. You know? <laughs> but he Aww. said, he said, the Aww. only handicap is a bad attitude. It's so That's true. what he said. The only handicap is a bad attitude. And this is a man that was, you know, struggled, you know, for most of the life that I knew him. And, uh, and I think that that's what hopefully I'll pass on to my kids is the idea that like never give up and that there's always a solution and that, you know, it's always about like your own attitude and, and having 
do whatever you can to have a positive mental attitude, whatever you can, you know, and for me, that's cold plunging and meditating and working out. You know, I've got my mental health routine and it's just like all like saying, I love my life out loud, you know, saying it, whether I hate my life Mm -hmm. or I love my life, I say it anyway, no matter how I feel, I just say it and it just manifests that stuff works. It really does. I love my life. I love that. I love you. I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You are a beautiful person. Thank you. You are an amazing talent, multifaceted, but most importantly, you have the best energy. You're a great, you're a great man. Thank you. Oh, thank you for being here with me. Thanks, Allison. Oh, so wonderful. I'm serious though. I was like, I have to have Feldia. And you're amazing. Your stories are unparalleled, like insane. I know. I was thinking about like watching back in the day, just watching Zach from Rage Against the Machine, just like win our crowd over and just thinking like, you know, like watching all these bands and Maynard, when I was selling shoes, Maynard would come visit me all the time and just like, you know, hang out when he first moved here from Pittsburgh or wherever he's from. And just, I don't know. It was like, I I just have these like, but I I mean, I moving to Los Angeles was probably the best decision I've ever made for my career. Yeah. Being here in the heart of it all. Of course. I mean, I've lived through all these eras of like, you know, just the fishbone, chili peppers, Jane's addiction era into the tool range because the machine. Yeah. That's so cool. And being able to survive it all. You're amazing. Thank you. Feldy is the best. He pumps me up every single time we get together, and I truly admire him as an artist, a father, a husband, and most importantly, a good person. It is now time for my sound advice, new music you need to know on the Allison Hagendorf Show playlist. First up is Liverpool band Jen and the Degenerates, which might also be one of the best band names. They cite LCD Sound System, Talking Heads, Patti Smith, Idols, and Wet Leg as influences. They wrote this song to wind up their record label who told them to write a hit, so they gave them one. Check out Big Hit Single. Next up is the duo Hoko. The band told me this song as a reminder that we can all get so caught up in our daily lives measuring progress, but it is so important to realize everything is temporary, so we need to appreciate what we have while we still have it. The guys wrote and produced this one themselves. Check out the latest from Hoko, Ephemera. Also this week is the latest from Canadian band Nobro, who are on a mission to be the most kick-ass all-female band ever, and I just love them. They said this one is a dumb rock song about getting older. It's about wanting to have one more wild night while having no business doing so and failing miserably. This song is fire. Check out No Bros. Let's Do Drugs. That's my sound advice this week. Search for the Allison Hagendorf Show playlist wherever you listen to music. Thank you so much, as always, for being part of the Allison Hagendorf Show. New episodes drop every Friday, so make sure you follow and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can also watch the show on YouTube. I would love to hear from you. So please like, comment, rate, review, whatever you're feeling, and reach out to me on socials at Allie Hagendorf. I'd love to connect with you. Let me know who I should interview next and what new music I should feature on my sound advice. Thanks again. I'll see you next week. And remember, you're a rock star. Hold up. 